What's going on? It's Reese Desmond here, back for another episode of this mini interview series. Today, I've got another exciting interview for you. He is one of the most knowledgeable writers around. Featured pieces for Roma, Arsenal, the PFSA, Y Scout, Bundesliga Goal, and the Monaco Tribune. Here is the great Edward Stratman. Thanks for having us on, Reese. Really appreciate um, being on the podcast and hope you're going well over there. And yeah, it's just really good to be on. Yeah, this is really cool. We're connecting from, I'm in Canada, you're in Australia, and we are connecting on opposite ends of the world right now. Uh, It's really cool for me. We both exist in the same spaces in terms of tactical analyses that roam about on the internet. Um, and I've been familiar with your work for a few years now, so and I've always looked at you as someone I would aspire to be like. So I think this is really cool. This is really exciting. For anyone who is not so familiar with you and your work and is not as excited as I am right now because they don't really know too much about you, could you give us like the quick fire version of who you are, how you know what you know, how you got involved in all of this writing and the insanely cool opportunities that have come about for you. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, growing up in Australia, sort of the introduction to football or soccer as it's generally called here. Yeah, I had an auntie who who lived in England and yeah, so with always supported Arsenal. So she used to bring all the gear and like go back to the days of the Dreamcast shirts and the Sega sponsorship. So that was sort of when I first started to love love soccer so and then just sort of always loved watching the game and sort of grew up mainly in Australia playing you know AFL and cricket and that kind of thing but always loved soccer and just played with mates and stuff just more for fun so and then so as I grew up I'd always keep watching it and um, sort of wanted to find an avenue to, to start writing about it eventually probably not till my sort of early 20s I started writing about it um, just as I started a website with my brother that licensed to Rome which which was cool. So it was just basically tactical analysis stuff and, yeah, just anything to do with, yeah, the main five leagues that have a bit of South American stuff, a bit of international football. So just all purely pretty much analysis. So, and then as, as you get more experience and you sort of you start writing for different websites and putting out um, sort of feelers to sites if they want to have your work appear on them. And a lot of the time is... Uh, they give you no, probably nine out of 10 places will say no, they've got it covered. They don't need freelance contributions at this time. But, um, yeah, you just got to keep working, keep sending the emails. And, um, yeah, eventually, yeah, started working for the places you just mentioned now. They were happy to feature my work. And, yeah, so it just um, just a lot of hard work and a lot of emails and a lot of saying no and, and just look, continually learning too because, like, reading sites like yours and all the cool stuff out there like Spielberg the German site from way back and and then people like we zonal marking bringing it to the more the forefront of the media a bit so tactics has a bit more of a spotlight shone upon it now so but I've probably been doing it for eight years and yeah I just love just love watching watching soccer so it's always it's always doesn't really feel like work a lot of the time it's just it's just a passion that you can you know, make some money from and make a bit of a living from. So it's just, it's a really fun thing to do, right, about football. So, and just always watching it. So, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty lucky, but also 
putting the work in, it's good to see that it pays off. Yeah, definitely. I always feel your passion whenever I read any of your work. And also, it's just really inspiring to hear you say what you just said there. Like, a lot of times I think people sometimes think good opportunities or good things will come if you just wait, which is like a common saying. But you kind of sometimes also have to be the one to put yourself out there and seek out opportunities yourself. And to hear you say things like, yeah, I was rejected like a lot of times, but I'm still at this place where like I've written for Bundesliga.com and Y Scout and Goal. Like that's so cool. It's so inspiring. Um, what have you been following most closely this season specifically? Uh, and what have you been most interested in as you've continued your work into, you said this is your eighth year doing this, which is amazing. Yeah, so probably obviously the main teams that I cover are Roma and, and Monaco, sort of reg very regularly. Also, I like love watching all the Premier League teams and stuff, but they're the main two. So, yeah, Roma's obviously been quite um, quite busy in the news with the Marine, with Mourinho coming in, getting rid of Fonseca to accommodate him. And um, it started off really well, obviously, with five wins, five games, but it's sort of slowly uh, the wheels have fallen off a little bit at Roma as the months have worn on in the Mourinho tenure. So we, um, there's always something going on at Roma and just, you know, this week, we, obviously he's not happy with the squad saying things like, I've only got 13 first teamers to choose from and he doesn't trust a lot of the, the, the bench players. So we've obviously got Maitland-Niles and Oliveira have already come in. So, yeah, there's always something happening at, at Roma and, and then Monaco, they've just sacked Kovac as a coach and replaced him with Clement. So... Yeah, that was another uh, another situation that probably, you know, was quite harsh on Kovac, but obviously it was probably mainly driven by the hierarchy of, of, of Monaco and Paul Mitchell, the sporting director, and Petrov. And, but that's the way they obviously had a bit of a relationship breakdown. So Kovac, has, um, despite doing really well for 18 months and finishing second and making the final of the Coupe de France and just really implementing a really cool game style and philosophy that was really interesting to watch and, you know, different shapes with and without possession and the development of a lot of young players like Diop and Chowmeni and Fafana. So, and Cal Enrique, the fullback, who's been exceptional. So, yeah, so now Clement's in charge. He's only had one game, but um, yeah, the two clubs that I'm, I'm writing about mainly at the moment are certainly quite action-packed on and off the field. It definitely seems that way. Like you must have been kept very busy this year because it sounds like things have been happening over at Monaco. And now with the managerial sacking, I bet you've been particularly busy recently. And then obviously with everything going on with Roma and the first season with Mourinho, who is an iconic figure of the game, wherever he goes, like controversy and everything like that is going to follow him. So I, I want to ask you much more about Roma, of course, but I'm curious first of like, why Roma? Why, why this love affair or this intrigue into Rome? Well, uh, growing up, I sort of thought you had that sort of in Australia, it was probably different for people growing up in different parts of the world, but the Italian football had a cool sort of aura about it. And all those star players in the 2000s, obviously the 90s and 80s had, had all your Maradonas and those kind of guys. But, yeah, the 2000s was a pretty strong Inter Milan, AC, Juventus. And, um, yeah, Roma was pretty exceptional around that sort of turn of the century when they won their last title with Battistuda, Totti, Montella, Cafu, Aldair. 
and led by Capello. And it was pretty cool. They had cool players like Emerson and um, Nakata as well. So, yeah, it always had this sort of cool vibe about it, Roma. And then, and then I sort of, sort of as I grew up, I'd always follow them. And you remember those sort of the Manchester United beating them with the seven-goal scoreline in, um, in the Champions League. And obviously, I've, yeah, I've got to mention De Rossi as well as Toddy because he's probably one of my favourite players ever. So they're just another cool player to add to the list. And then when I started getting into the, the writing work, I um, got in touch with Roma to see if they wanted um, any anal- anal- analysis articles. Sorry. And, um, yeah, Paul Rogers, who's, who's um, a lot of – he's a good, really great uh, manager there at the time and he was open to the idea because some teams don't um, want sort of tactics about their own team on their official website. So, yeah, it's, been, it's really cool that they're open to the idea of having – having articles on there just to, just to share with the fans and, and they're quite um, open and engaging on social media to sort of interact with fans and they was, it was good that they um, were, were keen to have someone write about something a bit different than the usual stories you would see on club websites. So, yeah, I've enjoyed it. been writing for them for five and a half years now. So just started um, after Rudy Garcia got sacked and Spalletti took over and then obviously that was a – that was a pretty pretty um, rocky time, but yeah. And then we had the really great season in 2016, 70, 17, Not too, a couple of years after that, where you know we got eighty seven points and got the highest highest points total Roma ever had, but we still finished second to um, Juventus, unfortunately. But yeah, sort of. Then you've gone gone through that. And then he left after that season because of the scrutiny with the toddy thing, how he never used to play him too much. He was just saying Rome, the Roman media is just like notoriously quite savage on coaches and players. So he sort of felt that and he was like, I've had enough essentially. And then you had the De Francesco era where you had the memorable Barcelona win to come back in the Champions League and making the semi-final of the Champions League before losing to um, Liverpool. And then he, he played quite a, quite a cool progressive sort of high octane sort of style, but it just sort of that that fell away too and he ended up losing his job too and then Ranieri sort of guided the team to the end of the season in his last year and then obviously that brings us on to Fonseca who had a great couple of years at Roma, which we probably we're going to discuss later and then to where we are, Mourinho. So there's lots of turmoil and changes and amazing players coming and going. Like obviously we've had Pjanic and Allison and, um, Strootman, Nangolin, just Rudiger, Salah. So, so many amazing players have left Roma during my time. Manolas too. So I hope it would be good one day if we could keep them all and sort of have a proper title push. But um, in the way the football world is at the moment, it's probably going to be hard, but we're hoping to get back to the Champions League one day. Yeah, and I bet that was part of the reason why they wanted to bring someone like Jose Mourinho into the club to get back to that stage where they were not too long ago where they had that really good season as you mentioned and finished just second to Juventus and first before we dive deeper into Mourinho I do also want to say how cool I think it is that a club like Roma does allow you to write tactical analysis pieces for them and then have that go out to the world because obviously most clubs would want to keep that underneath the rug. They would not want just the whole world to know like every single thing that the team is doing. Um, so I think it's so cool. And obviously it makes you the expert on all things Roma, which is an amazing thing that I want to know 
everything about with Jose Mourinho in charge, especially because we haven't been able to really watch too much Serie A here in Canada. Um, it was on the zone last year, but not this year. So uh, my knowledge on Jose Mourinho and Roma and their odd relationship so far is quite low. So I'm very curious first to know how has life started under the polarizing, shall we say, managerial reign of Mourinho? Yeah, well, it started started very well with the the five straight wins. I think it was six and seven wins, looking really good. Um, yeah, the, the thumping four 0 win over Salernitana in the second game of the season. Um, Matt Abraham scoring, getting his first goal like that was pretty pretty awesome. And and um, the the winner versus Sassuolo, we we had when Mourinho did the touchline run when we got the, the late goal there and like sort of bringing people back to the. The, the Porto Man U game all those years ago when Porto won the Champions League with him. I think it was in the semis, that particular incident. But, um, yeah, the pe- people were loving him at the start. Like, it was just – he was, like, having pizzas on the train and, you know, chatting to the young players. And, like, he, he just – it was just sort of – he took it by storm and everyone was like, oh, this is awesome, this is so cool. Mourinho's here. But, um, yeah, it's sort of gone a little bit um, downhill since and um, – yeah, they've sort of just struggled to maintain that momentum with a lot of like a lot of good teams, and they a theme which was um, under Fonseca as well, which carried over was the inability to beat the big teams. But he did have that really good win over Atalanta, where they scored four goals, so that was um, something different. But the play style um, has been a little bit more, I guess, passive than a little bit less probably um, attacking. Than, than Fonseca was. We were kind of like spoiled a bit with Fonseca's um, coaching with the 3-2-4-1 shape. It was quite with dual tens and it was really interesting to watch. But like it's still good to watch Mourinho, but I prefer Fonseca's. So, yeah, Mourinho would start with the 4-2-3-1 and, um, yeah, he started off with that. And then obviously the injuries and um, had that terrible loss to Bodo Glimt in the Europa League, which probably less said about that the better. Yeah, the development of Mayoral's probably stalled. Like, there's not been much Amadou Diawara. Um, Zaniolo hasn't really hit his hit his straps this year. And, um, yeah, you're not getting the same production out of guys like Veratu and Mkhitaryan's had some good spells. Like, he's, since Mourinho's changed to the, like, the 5-3-2, it's probably more defensively geared. They don't really have a lot of possession. They're conceding the highest XG per shot, which is... Like that shows you they're giving up a lot of chances. They actually conceded the least chances, but sort of some mistakes have hurt them. And obviously, that when they do give away a shot, it's a really high quality shot. So they only have the six best defensive record in the league. So it's like not doing amazing. So, and they don't only 12th for PPDA, the pressing passes per defensive action. So, yeah, it's not quite as um, entertaining as it was under Fonseca, but it's. Um, it's still probably maybe just in the realms of possibility Champions League, but after that loss against Juventus, it's going to be really hard now. So, In a way, like you imagine one of the reasons for bringing Mourinho in is to fix Fonseca's like, abysmal defensive record last season. Um, and he's certainly on track to do better than that, but seven goals against in their last two games, I think that is now, um, which definitely has made their numbers a lot lower i think than they would have been if we had this conversation like two weeks ago it seems in other ways like very similar to how Mourinho started life at tottenham and 
maybe progressed into the months afterward and started to have the wheels fall off a little bit. Um, a lot of good counterattacking, a lot of verticality, like certain players definitely improving, others not necessarily. Do you see this going pretty much the exact same way it did at Tottenham, where it starts well, things start to not go so well, he starts to criticize his players in interviews, and then he loses the respect, and there's no way back for him now. Well, sadly, it's probably there's a decent chance of that happening. Sort of, he's already criticized the players quite often, sort of hanging them out to dry and saying their mentality's not there, and they say he doesn't have enough. Like the squad's not good enough, despite Roma obviously like spending pretty much more than anyone else on transfers in the summer and already bringing in now we've got Maitland-Niles and Oliveira to to just keep him happy, to give him a few more members that can play in the midfield and things. But, yeah, it's definitely um, not going so well. You can see he's a bit agitated, like spiking back at the media when they ask him questions, like saying, I bet you couldn't do my job and this kind of thing, like you can handle the pressure. and Yeah, so it's not looking so good. And it's always sort of a, like, there's a lot of negative things that he says, which probably doesn't, probably doesn't help the players and probably doesn't help the supporters either because as soon as something goes wrong, you know that it's going to be amplified as well. So, and it just gets sort of like the, the, the atmosphere becomes a bit deflating after a while of constantly hearing this thing because, you know, yeah, it's just not so good for the players, their confidence and morale, but... We hope he can turn it around in the second half of the season and it's probably going to be Europa League will be a good a good, um, a good finish because there's just so many good teams in the league. Like even if you've got your big teams like your, your Inter, AC, Napoli, Juventus, Atalanta, they're all amazing. But teams like Torino under Juric, are just, they're just a great team and like he did an amazing job at Verona and they play the man marking like little mini Atalanta. They're just really aggressive in your face, press, direct attacking and Sassuolo under Dionisi, they're like really cool team to watch and Empoli with Andrea Zoli with the 4-4-2 diamond. They're just sort of continuing on the Sari days from Empoli. Like they're just really progressive and they just, the way they position themselves on the field to, to progress the ball and also counter press after they lose it. So yeah, when there's coaches like that playing these really interesting styles of football, that are probably more up with the times, I guess you would say. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more stale, um, some of the stuff we're seeing with Roma. Like, it's, like the high pressing's not really there. It's very mid-block counter-attack. There's, like, there is some really, like, there is some things that are really interesting as well. Like, they do a counter-attack well and they hit the channels behind the fullbacks well. And the occupation between the lines of people like Pellegrini's exceptional. Like, he's been amazing. This year, six goals and four assists, despite missing so much time with injury. But um, yeah, it just you just get the feeling that it's heading down a road that's not littered with positivity. And that's a disappointing road because they would have been hoping to improve upon their seventh place finish last year. They finished seventh, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they'll improve upon that this year and not finish seventh again where they are right now. But six points behind sixth after their recent 4-3 loss to Juventus. It's not necessarily boasting very well. And you mentioned the Europa League. Hopefully they can do better there. But it's still hard to beat what Fonseca 
achieved last year where he got them to the semifinals, that is, in itself is going to be a difficult task. So I can already see why like Roma, Roma fans like yourself might be disappointed with how things have started under Mourinho and how things have been going so far. I am curious a little bit more about some of these tactical tweaks he's made in recent weeks because one of the building blocks of Fonseca's success with the 3-4-2-1 was having Spinozola as a very high left wing back. And obviously, if you're going to switch to a back three, wing backs are essential to that. And he still does not have Spinozola available. I guess bringing Maitland-Niles is potentially a a reason why, um, because he's a very versatile player who can play in that position. But why do you think he switched to that formation? And do you think he will have more success with it than the 4-2-3-1? Because it seems like the 4-2-3-1 was working okay and allowing him to fit Pellegrini, Veritu, Cristante, and Mkhitaryan all into the same side, which cannot necessarily happen in a 5-3-2 or Three, one, four, two. I know that he obviously maybe it had something to do with the injuries because Roma's suffered plenty of injuries um, like throughout this year, a lot of midfield injuries as well and a few defensive injuries and suspensions. So I, I believe it's it's a lot to do with the personnel issues and, and then him not trusting some of the younger guys to always step in and fill in those um, key roles like Diawara and, and VR. Like you could have played them in midfield, but or Darbo, some of these young guys, they could have got to go in midfield, but I just feel that he um, doesn't trust them enough. So he's gone back to that shape, just maybe for a lot of solidity in there, more numbers at the back. So, but like he's played, Cristante's played at the back at times and, you know, there's sort of people filling in. I remember even last year, Fonseca had to play Veritu at the back at one point. So the injuries are a constant theme um, throughout Roma's last couple of seasons, they've just been decimated. And then, but some positives have obviously been Abanez has been, has been good at the back and Mancini's had some good games and Smalling when he's fit's been, um, been pretty good, pretty impressive. But yeah, Kambula, who we bought from Verona for big money, he hasn't really worked out. So he hasn't really got the trust of the manager, but yeah. And then having, having a guy like Vigna who, who was won the Copper Limitadores, not this season, one before with Palmeiras. We brought him in in the summer. So he's been really good to have at fullback in the absence of Spinazzola and obviously Karsdorp on the other side. So he's been pretty awesome as well, like he was under Fonseca. He's continued to be pretty impressive. So having those guys as, as a bit higher as well as wingbacks is kind of a good a good outcome in that, in that different shape. It's just they sit very deep in that 5-3-2 and it gives those outside midfielders a lot of work to get through, especially someone that's a bit older like Nikitari and like the, the shifting constantly side to side into the fullback regions because there's no pressure of really, there's minimal pressure on the ball. So if the opposition regularly has a 3v2 advantage against the two Roma forwards in pressing. So it gives those guys a lot of work, gives the team a lot of work shifting across all the time. They leave space on the flanks regularly. So like Vera too can do that fine, but yeah, Mkhitaryan on the other side, probably not so much. So it does place a fair bit of strain as well, even though it's supposed to be like compact and sit deep and, you know, protect is sort of the aim of the, the tactic. It does uh, with maybe they can try a 5-4-1 to have a bit more coverage of the width of the pitch. But yeah, it hasn't 
quite worked out so well so far. But as you say, the four two three one has definitely got its pluses. And as we saw against Juventus, that was like one of Boma's best games for the season for the first, you know, half was excellent. First 60 minutes was pretty good. And yeah, they were winning 3-1 and um, looking brilliant. And then they conceded the goals and missed a penalty late and the wheels fell off. But the first the first half was really good. First 15 minutes was just excellent. So if you can get your hands on that, it'd be uh, good to watch that. But yeah, they they looked better in that with the 4-2-3-1 and Mkhitaryan and Felix, the young guy, he's really a Fenijan. He's a really exciting young player, lots of speed. He looked good. Pellegrini, Abraham, so it, there are two. So it, look, it looks like we could be going for that again. Now he's got probably some more players he trusts I hope, and some like players not maybe hopefully recovered now by, by the time this goes out. So, so hopefully that might be the flicker, a little bit of hope we need heading into 2022. Yeah, I, I really like the sounding of Maitland-Niles because he is just a versatile player that I think just about any club would want to have at their disposal. So if you're a team like Roma with a lot of injuries too, where you just kind of like need to sometimes stick a square peg in a round hole, Maitland-Niles is a perfect player to have a lot of the time. So I think that's a great loan move. Really excited to see him hopefully getting more minutes there as well. The other like really interesting signing was at the start of the season, and you mentioned him as well, Tammy Abraham, a really like left field signing, did not really see it coming in the sense that like maybe he was going to leave Chelsea, but to go to Roma was a bit of a surprise. And I am really interested in the idea of Roma not being like a very high pressing team and like really lacking in their press because Abraham's numbers stand out like significantly across Europe. So what do you think that is? Is that like an individualistic thing that he's pressuring the opposition so much on his own? Yeah, he is like the leader of the press, I guess. So he does um, like respond to triggers very well, like back passes, passes towards the touchline, depending on when they shift across as a unit. So he definitely pulls his weight, but it's probably like they do, like they do press high sometimes, but it's predominantly you're going to see a lot of mid-block stuff, especially after the first, the opening. Yeah stages of matches but yeah he's been like excellent like he he's just unfortunately had a lot of bad luck in front of goal but he's in recent time he's he's been thundering the goals in in the last probably 10 games he's played he's been really impressive and he gives and especially for a team that maybe doesn't play with the ball as much as they could having that outlet to for headers and knockdowns and flick-ons and to hold the ball up and bring others in he's certainly quite extremely valuable Mourinho's style of playing and then you can have the runners surging past in transition. And himself, is he's very fast too, so he can run with the ball, beat players, and he's like quite a handy passer. But the main thing is just if we can, if we can get his – like his finishing, he's a very good finisher, very smart with his movement in the box, gets himself into really good position, so great deal. But like you said, it was it was quite surprising, not like if you said to me at the start of the summer we'd be getting Tammy Abraham, I would have probably said that seems unlikely. But um, especially there's not a huge amount of players that leave the Premier League to come to Serie A. So, yeah, he's given it a chance after just not being a starter at Chelsea. And, yeah, it's been it's been excellent. It's probably one of the best deals um, in Italy this summer. So, yeah, it, I, hope, I hope he keeps it up and continues his form that he's been on at the moment. So it should the signs are bright for him. Let's just hope um, the, the marriage continues to be good with him, Mourinho, Roma living in Italy, so fingers crossed. 
It seems like a very astute signing because, like you say, he does fit the style of play that Mourinho wants very well. And it is interesting to see, like, when we analyzed the pressing numbers across Europe in December, and he actually ranked the highest of the metrics we studied, which is, like, amazing. Obviously, a player like Mohamed Salah was excluded from that data from being a winger. We only looked at, like, center forwards. And most of the time, to get high on that list, you need to be on a team that doesn't have too much possession because that means you're going to be pressing more but it's still very interesting to see him fulfilling that kind of role um, and doing so well with it as well like his tackle numbers are very high he also has the highest non-penalty expected goals so far in Syria, which is amazing you just mentioned like the luck that he's had in front of goal and that i guess contributes to the fact that he's only scored eight in 20 games which is still an amazing ratio it's just not as high as like the vlahovic's and immobiles of this world um so yeah it's it's a great it's a great thing to see him doing so well after leaving chelsea and in a side that fits him so well the other one i wanted to ask you about was paul lopez and what happened there because he was such an important member of fonseca's build-up and engaging in that sort of like four plus one shape where he's very much a part of it um and he's like part of the back three joining in as an extra member which is so interesting to see and a lot of managers doing that nowadays look at manchester city and how they use ederson um but he's been loaned out to marseille in place of 33 year old Rui patricio so what happened there yeah yeah well, he's i personally am a huge fan like yourself of Paul lopez just purely on the possession and how good he is at passing and building out from the back mm -hmm. and just the range of passing he has, short, long, intermediate. Yeah, he's, he's exceptional in that regard. But there was a few errors um, and mistakes that, that were quite costly at times for Roma. But a lot of the time he was harshly thrown under the bus and sort of scapegoated sometimes because, I yeah, he, he makes some amazing saves. He, the, the benefits probably outweigh the the negatives at times with keepers like that because depending on your philosophy of, of playing, like obviously suited Fonseca's but not totally suitable to Mourinho. And, yes, yeah, so they he's obviously gone to Marseille with Sam Pauli now, which is very much suits his his uh, way of keeping, whereas Patricio is definitely more of a Mourinho keeper. But he's been pretty, pretty impressive too. He's done some really great things, made some exceptional stops. He's just an experienced veteran, Portuguese international. You know, Mourinho knows him well. Pinto, the sporting director, who's also Portuguese, knows him well. So they were he's, – he's been a really good signing. So I haven't got too many complaints with him. It's just probably fits the Mourinho philosophy better than – That makes sense. And I think it's good to hear that Rui Patricio has stepped up and filled the boots well. Um, they also signed another Portuguese player, which is Sergio Oliveira today. Do you think reinforcements are needed anywhere else in the squad before the window closes? Or how else can Mourinho progress from here to get them to end on the high note that they obviously want to end on? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Obviously, January is a, is, is a hard window to really get those big stars in. But you know, maybe maybe some people want a defender. It's hard because you've got Spinazzola coming back and when you when you got Cristante and Beratori in midfield, but there probably might be some departures if there's some more guys to come in. But, yeah, VR and Diawara are excellent in midfield. Darbo as well. 
Um, you've got Shawari up front for some extra backup. Shamuradov is a new signing from um, Genoa who's sort of had glimpses, looked good here and there when he's been given a chance. So, But the squad, like you hear a lot of complaints from Mourinho about the squad, but it's actually not that bad. A team. It's a pretty good team. He's got some good good tools to work with. Yeah, I would say it's hard not to be optimistic about looking at that squad and saying this should be a team that's capable of finishing in the top six in Syria and challenging for the Europa League as well. So hopefully he's able to come good and bring both of those things together. What about from a tactical perspective? Is there anything that you would see him being able to change or do in the second half of the season that would revolutionize this Roma team? Well, if being Mourinho, I, I don't know if we'll see, we'll probably either see that 3-5-3-2, three, 3-5-2 five, five, three, three, five, or the 4-2-3-1, which we've been discussing, which Roma probably have played their best football in in the games they've done really well. So that would probably suit the, the style maybe a bit better because you can have Pellegrini as a 10, Abraham, then you can have the wingers, whether it's, you know, Fenerjan, Zaniolo, um, Perez off the bench and you play Mkhitaryan out wide um, then something like a Cristante Veritu double pivot or obviously Oliveira or a lot of those other mids that don't get minutes who would be really good in that double pivot too and then and then the Karsdorp, Vina and then sort of two of Smalling Abanez, Mancini and then Patricio and goal like 4-2-3-1 probably suits and gives you the most balance of defending, attacking sort of structural stability having those game changes down the middle to feed off each other and work with each other and do some opposite movements. One goes where Abraham drops, Pellegrini goes in behind. They do still do some cool little rotations, um, some underlapping wingbacks and midfielders pushing on. Obviously, Veritu and Oliveira excel at the runs into the box late arriving to give you an extra option if um, defenders are pinned or dragged away by people like Abraham. Yeah, that sounds like the best possible fit for the team right now in that 4-2-3-1, especially just to accommodate all of those stellar midfield options that Roma has, which for me, potentially with Oliveira as well, like a quartet of their very best players, um, When you, especially when you look at the output that all of them contribute in either a defensive and like positioning perspective like Cristante or in terms of like the whole box-to-box package and goal contributions like Pellegrini and Veritu. So hopefully he sticks with that 4-2-3-1 and doesn't change around too much. And hopefully he also is not like overly rigid in his ways and his defensive mannerisms. Um, if he is, like hopefully that can actually inspire great of greater defensive presence than they had under Fonseca. Um, but if not, like at least at least hopefully it's just not boring to watch, especially for Fans of Roma like you. I guess last question on Roma before we end off the show. Do you think Mourinho will be in the managerial position this September? That's that's a very tough question. I'm probably going to have to go with he will be because he did sign a three-year deal. But And they've sort of, uh, the owners, the American owners, have put a fair bit of trust in him and Pinto, the Portuguese sporting director. So I'd probably say he will be. But uh, there'll certainly be some bumps along the road between now and then. And we just hope year two, I suppose we've got to, we also have to be a bit um, lenient because I know he's legendary Mourinho, but it does take time to really get your message across. And with the way things are, sort of playing three games in every seven days, you sort of have to take a step back and be a bit more realistic, like 
Klopp and Pochettino weren't perfect when they first started at um, Liverpool and Spurs, respectively, were they? And Arteta's had his had his moments, and you know Conte was what had his moments firstly at Inter too. So maybe the expectations for someone like Mourinho are massive, but maybe we just need to temper them with a bit of realism and. Um, Good to hear because I hope it does work out for him there. And I think that's a really good point of like, we need to be patient sometimes because these things do take time and look at how it worked for Klopp. Like his first season wasn't great and then they won the Champions League in the Premier League. So maybe Mourinho will follow in Klopp's footsteps and take Roma to new heights that they've never even reached before. We shall wait and see. All right. That is where we'll end it today, Edward. I really enjoyed this one. This might be a tougher one to answer, given that you seem to be everywhere, but where can people find more of you and your work? Yeah, so probably the best place would be Twitter, just at Edward Stratman, and um, pretty much all my articles will be up there on um, mostly Monaco and Roma and just some Premier League um, scouting work. So keep an eye out for that. And um, thanks again for having me, Reese. I've really enjoyed it, mate. Yeah, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us as well, all the way in Australia, which is so cool. And uh, we'll be sure to put all of those links to your social media pages in the show notes. And in fact, go right there right now and click on those links. Follow Edward Stratman. Make sure you give him a shout and ask him any questions that you want about Roma and Monaco because he is the expert on both of those teams. You can find me at Desmond Reese at Mastermind Site, of course. And you can find me probably back here again in a week or two when I talk to my next guest, whoever that may be. Be sure to be back again for the next one. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the other side.